Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Praise the Lord. Are you ready for the word this morning? Amen. Well, we are again checking in with David in the 51st Psalm. And uh, we're a little better than halfway through now with our check-ins and just just checking in with him on the principles of a revived life. If you're just joining us for the first time, this is part four in a six-week series. And, you know, we've been discussing the fact that, you know, sometimes we just run from, from peak to peak. And, and we don't really experience God in the in-between times. In other words, we're running from revival to revival. But... If the Lord is with us, then we can live a revived life all the time. In the, in the good times, we can bless Him. In the bad times, we can bless Him. In, 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 the, in the mountaintops, we can sense His presence. In the darkest valley, we can know that He's walking with us. In the times when it feels like we don't have any strength left of our own, we can be assured that He is carrying us in those moments. Amen? And we live the fullness of life that God intended. We've learned from David so far that this revived life begins with living a repentant life. In other words, we, we turn to God and away from sinful living and that, that revived life continues with a reliance not in our ability to keep the religious rules but in our ability just to surrender and, and just to live reliant upon the strength of God to do in us what we can't do for ourselves as we walk in obedience to His will. And we covered last week that this idea of living revived has a lot to do with the way that we think. The way that we process life and the way that we balance life and truth. Because there are some things that will happen to you in this life that the adversary will convince you of as being detrimental towards your life. But there's a word from the Lord that says, and we know that God is working all things together for our good. Amen? Amen. So you, you listen, you live victorious when you understand that regardless of life situations and circumstances, regardless whether you're on the mountaintop or down in the valley, you have been made more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you. Amen? Amen. So uh, the, the balance of our time, we're going to be looking at some of the effects. This up to this point has been positioning. It's been, it's been posturing ourselves before the presence of the Lord in repentance, in reliance, in a renewed mind and having our re minds renewed in the truth of God's word and, and time spent in his presence. In the balance of our time, we're going to be looking at the effects of living revived. And I, I told you last week that, that the point of time spent in the word and the prayer was not to jump through any kind of religious hurdles or to earn yourself a particular blessing from the Lord, but to better position yourself for the Lord to work effectively in our lives. To speak to us, to challenge things in our lives, to awaken our spiritual sensibilities, if you will. 
And, and David has thus far positioned himself for God to do amazing things in his life. And he reminds us in this next request of a great miracle that God is able to work in our lives if we live those repentant lives, reliant lives upon the power of the Holy Spirit and a life trusting in the word of the Lord. And he says this, we pick it up in verse 9. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Here it is. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The amazing miracle I believe it is that David is showing us here in this psalm as you and I live revived lives is the miracle of transformation. For too long in the body of Christ we have focused on a modification of behavior. Can I tell you today that if you are living a transformed life your behavior will, by virtue thereof, modify on its own. And the reason you will note a change in your behavior is because your, your desires will change, your, your thoughts will change, your appetites will change. I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually. Your routines, your disciplines are going to change. Your priorities in this life are going to change. And as a result, what begins to happen on the inside of you is going to find expression on the outside of you. Our problem is too often we try to get the cart ahead of the horse and what happens is we try to change our habits until somehow or another we've changed our minds. And it just simply doesn't work that way. It leads to a life of confusion. We'll get into that a little bit later. But taking, uh, taking a life that was not only guilty of sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the reason for that is because every one of us were born prone to sin. And we have within us, resident in us, no spiritual wherewithal whatsoever to change that. But if we live this submissive life, if we live this revived life, we will begin to love the things that God loves. We will begin to hate the things that God hates. We will see the world through eyes of faith and we will be filled with a spirit of discernment and we're going to be all around a different person changed at the very core of our being. Made new in Christ Jesus. Now, I've mentioned this several times already, but the, the objectives of the life of faith, these subjects that we've covered over these last couple of weeks, they're not simply a list of mechanical actions that earn us blessing. This is not a series of if this, then that. In other words, if you do these things, then God owes you. It's, it's, it's not a list of rules for you to maintain, but it's a life of faith to be lived. And by that, I mean that it's not just something we exercise in our heads. It's something that we embrace in our hearts, and we don't begrudgingly repent. Sorry for what we've done. We surrender to God wholeheartedly. We don't strive to accomplish righteousness on our own. We fully rely on God's power to accomplish His goodwill in us. 
We don't simply memorize scripture to be a good Christian. We hide it in our hearts until the Holy Spirit or so that the Holy Spirit might illuminate our minds and help us understand the will of God for our lives and therefore we learn to walk in a more fruitful path spiritually speaking. Living for Jesus is not about modifying behavior. Living for Jesus is about changing my heart. That's not to say that as you strive to live for Christ that your behaviors won't change because they will. But here's the deal. You can keep all the rules and be lost. You can keep all the rules and be far from God. If you don't believe me, read about the Pharisees in Scripture. They kept all the rules. They kept the letter of the law. As a matter of fact, they loved the rules so good they invented rules. God, God gave them ten, and they, uh, from those ten, they extrapolated hundreds of rules. And they, they loved the rule, the letter of the law, but Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers who were dead in their spiritual being. You can keep the rules and be far from God. You can, you can keep these rules and be spiritually lifeless. But all the investments of the Christian life, time spent, do you know time is your most precious commodity? I can take your car, you can get another car. I can, I can take your house, you can get another house. I can, I can take all the material goods that you have, you can get some more, but your time. Once I've taken your time, it's irreplaceable. And I want you to understand the value of investment, this, the time that we spend in the presence of God, the effort and attention that's given to attending church, time meditating on the Word, time attending the Bible study. All of these things are to culminate in a life that reflects Christ. And again, this is not an outside-in kind of job. In other words, we don't work until we're changed. As a matter of fact, that type of approach usually does little more than wear us out and make us bitter. See, when, when I'm working to earn God's favor in my life, it's very frustrating. Because what happens is, as I work to earn something, then I, it come, what comes with that is an attending sense of entitlement. You see, where I feel like God owes me something. And my prayer time begins to sound like this. Oh God, I've done this thing and I've done that thing and I've been to church every time the door was open and I give you tithes of all that I have and Lord, because of this, you should have. And, and we, we begin to get frustrated and we begin to become bitter because you know, we, we, we've got this thing backwards. God doesn't owe us nothing. As a matter of fact, the Word says that, you know, we're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. It was the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, that he gave his life for us. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I couldn't pay. But Jesus paid it all. We are bondservants, Paul says, in Christ Jesus. 
All I can do is live in obedient submission. We trust, we reflect, we meditate, we rely in faith upon God until, we, until who we are at the very core of our being begins to see transformation. Can I tell you, this is the epitome of Christian maturity. And we've got to get a hold of this principle because I have in my lifetime witnessed people who have been to church a very short amount of time who have served the Lord a very short amount of time who are spiritually more mature than other people who maybe have been for decades and it, I'm not I'm not trying to call anybody out I'm just stating the fact that this principle by and large is lost on many believers because the epitome of Christian maturity is that I, from the core of my being, am being changed into the likeness, not just in the appearance to man, but as God is examining my life, not looking at the outward appearance, but looking directly at my heart, he begins to see transformation and change that looks like Jesus. I hope you're taking notes because I'm giving a clinic this morning. Amen? The most effective change that you will ever experience in your life will come from the inside out. Through the deposits of the word in our life, through time spent in fellowship with the Lord, through fellowship with the saints, our perspectives are shaped, our minds are renewed, our hearts are changed. We're no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And what's the purpose of all this Christian living? To live a transformed life. To be changed into the likeness of Christ. Not simply in action, but also in substance. And the expectation of David in this psalm can be your reality and my reality. We can be transformed. We can be changed. I'm, I'm sure as I, as I think about this particular passage here, as I see David crying out to God, calling out in repentance, expressing a reliance, and saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn from this sinfulness, and I'm going to rely on you because where I was weak in the flesh, I know that you're strong. And God, I'm going to hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you and give the Holy Spirit some, some material to call back to my remembrance in times of weakness in times of indecision so that I'll know what the good and perfect will of God for my life is and God I'm trusting you to help me with it and Lord I'm asking you create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me and I think about this and I am sure this is where I want to get really frank with you this morning I'm sure that there were people who had written David off. I know there were people who had written David off. David's own daddy wrote him off before his life even got started good. If you remember several weeks back, we shared a message about the anointing of the new king of Israel and how Jesse called all of his sons except David up to the house to meet with the prophet Samuel. I know, I know that David led this life where nobody had calculated that David could be the person, that David could be the man, that David could be the leader that God was calling him to be. And certainly this 
big glaring failure, this big fault in his life, it certainly validated all of everybody's thoughts about David's inadequacies. Have you ever thought about that? Do you know that in your own life there are times that you sin, that you fall short of the glory of God and the adversary jumps on your shoulder with an intensity and a tenacity to encourage and to challenge you that you will never be the man or the woman of God that God has intended for you to be. He jumps on you and says, see there, see there, there's validation of everything that I've been telling you all along. You'll never make it. You're never going to be what you're supposed to be. You just as well give up. I told you last week, the devil don't have to beat you. All he's got to do is get you to give up. And he's won. And here's the thing, though. God had been using a different standard to judge David's life the whole time. He never was looking at the outside. He never did look at the sin with Bathsheba as, as, as a counteraction against David's potential. None of that ever negated the call of God. Of course it had to be dealt with. Sin in our lives has to be dealt with. But just because you fail doesn't mean, just because you fall doesn't mean you've completely failed. We repent, we rely on the grace of God, we rely on His mercy, we throw ourselves at His feet and we say, God forgive us. We want to turn from that, we want to we turn to you and away from sin. We want to live relying on you, just like David prayed here. And see, God had been using this different standard the whole time to judge David's life. And man's survey, as always, was only on the outward part of his life, but that's not where God wants to do his deepest work. God wants to do his deepest work not on the outside of us, but on the inside. And you know, here's, let, me just, let me just speed to the conclusion here of this part and say that, yes, David failed. David was not perfect. David didn't live perfect from the point of this prayer forward, I'm sure. There were, there were times of stumble, but... We, we find in David, and it's, it's confirmed by the Holy Spirit later in, in the book of Acts, that David was a man after God's own heart. In other words, at the core of him, there was a yearning, there was a desire. We even see him writing in the psalm, Lord, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my heart longs after you. This one thing have I desired, says David, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's indicative of a heart that is not after the pursuits of this life, but is hard after God. And I'm, I'm impressed so much so that several times in the scripture, even after David's earthly life is over, several times in the scripture we find God looking on at the situation of the nation of Israel and saying, you know what, I would release judgment here. I would release wrath on this situation. But for the sake of my servant, David. I want to tell you something that God wants to, I'm not saying your family will ever ride on the coattails of your faith. But I'm telling you that I believe God wants to raise up in you something. He wants to transform and change your heart so much so that generations after you will know the blessing and the favor of God over their lives for the sake of you, his servant. That he will favor them and honor them because you were a person that went hard after God. 
I love Johnny's posts on Facebook. They encourage me every week. Johnny, Johnny puts a little meme up most every day and said, hey, let's go hard for God today. Right? I love it. And, and here's where I really want to talk to you today, church. You may have walked in what seems like failure for years, for decades. And you've heard the message of the gospel and you've heard about coming to a place of repentance and saying, I'm sorry. But you've never understood the principle of abiding in Christ until there is a serious heart change. And you live in a constant cycle of frustration. It's get up and go and fail and fall. And get up and go and fail and fall over and over and over and over again. And you've never learned how to rise above the things that keep tripping you up. Am I suggesting that you'll ever walk in perfection? Absolutely not. I would not, I would not set you up for that kind of failure. But what I am telling you is that there should be significant life change in you. The things that you struggled with five years ago should not be the same thing that you're struggling with today. The thing that you struggled with 10 years ago should not be the thing that you're struggling with today. The thing that you're struggling with today should not be the thing that you're struggling with five years from now. And we've only known this band-aid version of the gospel. That when we fall and we get a boo-boo, we run to God and He patches it up and that's covered until we fall the next time and we get another band-aid and that's covered and and we recite over and over Romans chapter 7 verse 24 oh who will deliver me from this life of sin oh wretched man that I am and we live in that and we abide in that place But I want to tell you something today, church. There is grace in Christ Jesus, not only to forgive you of your sins, but also to give you the power over sin and to transform you so that your thoughts are different. Your appetites are different, not physically, but spiritually speaking. Your desires are different. Your motives are different. Your reactions to life are different. And then you will finish up with the conclusion of Romans 7, 25. But thanks be to God that the answer is in Jesus Christ. And as we're walking daily with the Lord, living that revived life, David's prayer needs to be our prayer also. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I told you in the beginning that a lot of people get this backwards and we try to to refresh and renew the inside from works on the outside. And it just doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, Jesus validates this. I want to share with you two stories and then I'm going to close. Jesus says in in, uh, Luke's gospel, the 18th chapter, he shares about these two men who went down to the altar to pray. He says, and he he also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. You, you see this building, right? God, I thank you that I'm not an extortioner, unjust, adulterer, even tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess, and therefore you owe me. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man went to, down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What Jesus is saying here is that, you know, this one man went out and prayed and he went through the motion and he'd been going through the motion and he recited all of his motions, but there was nothing in his heart that was different. But this other man had a change in heart and he was justified. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonders in your name? Have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You did the stuff, but you lacked the heart. And I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Why does Jesus give these examples? Because they exemplify religion apart from a heart change. And religion apart from a heart change is useless apart from the value that it brings in the moment. But in eternity when we stand before the Lord, it's not going to be our good works. It's not going to be all the great things that we did. It's going to be was our heart right was our heart in the right place and friend that's nothing that we can do on our own daily I've got to say Jesus help me forgive as you forgave Jesus said this command I give you love as I have loved <laughs> try that one by yourself try that one when you're being scourged when you're being crucified when you're being beaten when you're being mocked to be able to look at those that as Jesus did and say Father forgive them they don't know what they're doing no 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 that that requires supernatural heart change that requires the restoration of a right spirit in us and those things only come as a product of walking in the grace and the favor of Almighty God these are matters of the heart if there's ever been anything that is, this is it. You and I should be noting significant change at the core of who we are the longer we live for Jesus. Humility, obedience to the will of God, not only obedience to the will of God, but a desire for it. Let me, let me just, you say, well, Pastor, how do I know? How do I know where my heart is? Let me... Let me just give you this little bit. The next time you know you ought to do something according to the will of God and you don't want to do it, that's a place where your flesh and your heart is away from the heart and will of God. The next time God asks you to forgive and you say, but God, that's, that's a place where surrender needs to come and we need to pray, create in me a clean heart, oh God. 
renew a right spirit in me. The next time God asks you to give, the next time God asks you to serve, and you say, no, I don't, I don't want to do you just stop, stop and say, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. You'll have more desire for the presence of God. You'll have a greater desire to see others come to know Christ. Why? Because the things that move the heart of God will move our hearts as well as, he, as we allow Him to have that work of transformation in us. And I want to challenge you today, church. Living a revived life will change you at the core of who you are. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.